Okay, if you're new here today, we welcome you. If you're not new, we welcome you as well. But if you're new, make sure you don't leave without speaking with one of us, just so that we can say hi and we can connect with you. Um, we've been praying for you to come. Uh, we were chatting the other night, me and Barry and a couple of people, and we were saying that um, you can see that the world is entering a very significant time. You know, we know that there are end times. This isn't going to carry on forever. There are end times. The Lord is going to return. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's coming back again. Yeah. And if you know him, you're going with him. If you're not, listen up. Yeah. Because he's coming again. He's coming again. And the world is entering a really significant time. And you'll have seen it all over the news. I mean, like... Billy Graham has been everywhere, hasn't he, this last week, all over the news. We're watching news at 10, and there's this, like, good proportion of the news dedicated to Billy Graham. President Trump has been at his funeral. It's been all over. Why? Because he preached Jesus. And Jesus is the name above every name. And I believe that, that we are entering, the world is entering a significant time, that the world is entering a, a time of awakening, ready for the end. I truly, truly believe that is, is happening. I believe it is the start of it. But I leave, believe we're going to see, we're going to be in a time like no other. Now, we can sit on the fence and we can watch that happening. Or we can make sure that we are in the middle of it. We can make sure that we are in the midst of that revival as it happens. But God is speaking and God is moving and God is calling us, this nation and this world, to sit up and pay attention. Because the end is coming. The end is coming. We cannot get away from the fact that the end is coming. And we are in the last days. You only have to, if you read scriptures on the last days, you only have to look at the list of things that it says about the things that will happen and you will see that they are speeding up in the world. That those things are happening at a greater rate than ever before. It's a time to sit up and pay attention. And it's a time for a great awakening. As God speaks this morning, we have a choice whether we're going to lean in or sit back and observe what's going on, observe what's happening here, or whether we're going to lean in and we're going to say, God, whatever it is you're saying this morning, speak to me, speak to me, show me, show me where I need to change, show me where my heart needs to soften, show me what's, what's the next step for me, show me. I'll often say about if you're watching a, a good film, or drama, one of these police dramas or whatever. You know, sometimes they have you on the edge of your seat, you're waiting, you're expectant for what's about to come next. But how many times are the things of God that we just sit back with our arms folded and we just kind of just wait to see what's happened and wait to see what's going on in other people's lives and wait to see, no, we should be hungry today. We should be on the edge of our seats. We should be expectant. We should be waiting, knowing that something is going to happen, that this is a God-ordained moment that we are sat in this church today hearing what God has said. But you choose. And I speak to myself for that. You choose. You choose whether you're going to sit back with your arms folded and just observe what's going on or whether you're going to lean in and be expectant and excited about what is to come. We're in a time of preparation that we need to prepare ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to check ourselves. We need to check ourselves and see where we're at with God. We need to check ourselves. Have we ever given our lives to God? Where are we at spiritually? As we are in these significant days and we are in, a, in an awakening moment in this land. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, 
verses 3 to 9 says this. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on, on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil, soil with underlying rocks. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much had, had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. In leaning in, in being hungry, in being expectant, we are fertile. We are making sure that we are ready as the seed is planted this morning, that it will take root. If, we, if, if the seed doesn't take root in our walk with God, if our roots aren't deep, then when the storms come, when the hot sun comes, we cannot stand. We get blown around. We get blown away. We wilt in the heat. But if we have our, our, our soil fertile, and we have that ground prepared, ready to receive whatever God is going to drop in today, the root will go down deep and we will not be shaken. And we will not be shaken. And I speak from my personal experience because in the early years, when I was a bit wishy-washy, I was blown around by everything. I was shaken by everything. But when I put my roots deep down in God, that's the only reason why I have been able to stand through what I've had to stand through. Because my roots have been deep. And when the storms of life have come, yes, I may have felt the effects of them. Yes, there may have been many a tear shed. Yes, there may have been times I've literally had to drag myself up and say, but God, God, it's you. Why? Because my roots have been deep. And because my roots have been deep, I've known who he is. And I've known who he is. And my faith, my faith has been able to be lifted. My faith has been able to rise. And I've been able to focus on him. There's um, a story in the Bible. And it's often classed as the worst parenting failure ever. Now, okay, we have five kids. We've had some parenting failures. In fact, the other day, we actually said to each other, listen, we've never done this parenting thing before. Like, we're going to make some mistakes. We're going to get it wrong, all right? So if you're a parent out there, cut yourself some slack. I'll say, like, to, I said to our admin the other day, I have never parented 14-year-old twin boys before. I have no idea what I'm doing. And he went, yeah. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I am, like, trusting the Lord, right? Really trusting the Lord with this one, like 14-year-old boys. <clears throat> when I uh, first became pregnant with Sophie, I worked at a solicitor's, and um, me and Barry have a bit of a disagreement over this story, but I have the microphone, and we're not going to have, listen, we're, we're not going to have a domestic in church. Just steady. <laughs> when I was first pregnant, I remember getting to about six months pregnant and having this overwhelming fear, really real overwhelming fear, that Barry would one day take our child out somewhere and forget that he'd got them. <laughs> and there was a solicitor at the time, his name was Andrew, and they had recently had a baby, so they were a bit further along than us, and I, and I said, Andrew, I said, have you ever gotten your child anywhere? And he went, yeah. I'm like, oh gosh, it happens, it really happens. And I was like, I'm really worried about him, isn't it? He said, I did do it once, he said, I've never done it again. 
And I'm like, okay. I remember going home and talking to Barry, and Barry going, I want Barry's getting nervous. He's like, this woman in the neck <laughs> on the front row. <laughs> if you could see what I saw. <laughs> and, and, and Barry's like, oh, I'll never forget them. I'll never. And he didn't until we got to number five. Right. So and, and if anyone knows, Charlotte was, was um, you wouldn't think so looking at her now, but she was premature and she was in a special care unit. When she was born, she couldn't breathe for herself. She was really poorly. And the day came where my baby was discharged from the special care baby unit. And she was the most, oh, she was such a doll and she was so fragile and, and, and we loved her and, and, and all went well until Charlotte was about two. And I found out that one day Barry went to Sainsbury's for pizza and left her in the car while he went to buy pizzas. And I'm like, you left my baby in the car. You know, that's a parenting failure, Barry. You left the baby in the car. And he's like, she's two. We've still got her. It's okay. Nothing happened to her. But well, he didn't do it on purpose. All right. It was a mistake. But the baby was left in the car and he didn't realize till he walked back to the car with his pizza. He never forgot the pizza, is all I'm saying, and clicked the car to unlock the car, because as a good parent, he locked her in, so nobody could get to her, and realized that my beautiful baby, who was only small, had been left in the car seat while he'd been in Sainsbury's doing the shopping. But anyway, she's alive and well, but that was a parenting failure. <laughs> Do we hear an Amen. But then there's another parenting failure that I think possibly exceeds Barry's lack of attention to our daughter. I've not told Charlotte this story yet. I will do one day, seeing as she thinks Daddy's wonderful. In Luke chapter 2. In Luke, anyway, let's get serious, guys. In Luke chapter 2. <laughs> onwards, it talks about Mary and Joseph losing Jesus. And they lost him for a good few days. So, Barry may have forgotten our fifth child. If anyone has just walked in and thinks we're really bad parents, we try not to be. But this was just a mishap. And, um, but Mary and Joseph didn't just lose their child, they lost the Son of God. Okay, there is like high like expectations on this couple who have been entrusted with the Son of God. Mary and Joseph, you have been chosen, you have been, and they lose him. They lose Jesus. They didn't just leave him in a car. They completely lost him and had no idea where he was. Now, I've been pondering on this. I actually use these scriptures at our ladies' meeting, but I know that what God has spoken to me on is for this is way beyond that gathering of ladies the other week. This is for the church because it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up time for all of us, which fits in with this awakening season that I believe the world is in at this time. And we are just seeing the beginnings of it. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> and we see this story, and often people joke about it, and it's a big parenting failure. But as I've been reading these scriptures, and I just want to break it down because it's so significant to our lives. So, so significant to our lives. And it unlocks some stuff about the questions that we have when we question where is God. And I want to take the 
parenting failure thing away from this story, and I want us to unpack it a little bit more. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, it says this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents didn't miss him at first. I believe that there's people in here, and you are questioning where God is at your at this time in your life. Where is God in your current situation? Where is God in your circumstances? Where is he? Because once you knew him, once you felt him there, once you, were, you knew he was in the middle of, uh, 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 of your whole world, but yet he's left you. He's left you and you feel like you're doing this part of the journey completely alone. But here's the thing. It does, doesn't just end up that way. I believe that we make choices with our lives. A little bit of me here and a little bit of me there. And as I just make a few little tweaks to my world and a few little tweaks to my life, I just move ever so slightly away from Jesus. That at first, I don't even miss him. Mary and Joseph, as they began their journey away from Jesus, at first they didn't even miss him. Because it was just a little few steps away from him. And they were just going along the journey, chattering to people here and chattering to people there. But for us in our worlds, we just sprinkle a little bit of us here and a little bit of us there. And we don't even realize that we have started our journey away from Jesus. That we don't even miss him at first. Because everything still seems okay. You've just made the tweaks to your life. I've just made the tweaks to my life that's needed. I've just made the decision here that maybe we feel God's been a little bit slow on. So I'll just throw a little bit in here. Not realizing that we have started our journey away from Jesus. And it says because they, so it says that his parents didn't miss him at first. Because they assumed he was among the other travelers. They just assumed that he'll be here. He'll be in the familiar. He'll be in what I've created. He'll be in my world somewhere. He'll be here. I don't need to search. He'll be here. He'll be here. And we've become comfortable with our relationship with God that we can take it for granted. That we don't even realize at first that we're moving away. And we just assume that Jesus is going to be in the familiar. We just assume that he's going to be around us somewhere, and we're happy with that. We're happy with that. I talk to myself in this. I'm happy with that, that Jesus is just going to be somewhere in my world. He's just going to be somewhere in my, familiar, in, in, in my familiarity. Then it says this, but when he didn't show up that evening... They started looking for him among their friends and relatives. So again, they begin to search for him. They start to realize something's not right here. Jesus isn't here. 
But they begin to look for him among the relatives and among the friends, again, among the comfort, among the familiarity. That's where they begin to look for him. That's where their search begins. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. I believe some people find themselves in a time of life where you are realizing he's not in what I've created and I'm going under. He's not here. In my world, he's not here. And you are beginning to wonder what is going on and what is happening. And when we do that, our mind automatically comes to the fact that he has left us. And he has left us alone. We question why God has left us when actually we left him. We become so consumed in our lives being run by us that we haven't even noticed when we've begun to move away. We haven't even realized that we left Jesus behind. And we haven't even realized because we have come, become so consumed with earthly things. We have become so consumed in making sure our family's okay, that making sure our business is okay, that making sure I feel good, that our world becomes about us, that my world becomes about me, and I haven't even realized that I have moved away from him. It says this three days later in verse 46, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Three days later, of frantically searching for him, they found him. And I think Mary's response, I can understand Mary's response, but I think it, it, it portrays people very well when it comes to God. Mary, what did she say? Why have you done this to us? It was all about Mary and Joseph. It becomes all about me. All about me and not about him. Why have you done this to us? Here's the thing. Jesus hasn't done anything. He's not gone anywhere. He's not moved. He's stayed put. So Jesus hasn't done anything. But how quick I can question. How quick I can question and say, God, why have you left me? this your father and I the mother said have been frantic searching for you everywhere you can imagine can't you you can imagine that they have been frantically searching trying to find where he is they don't know where he is they feel like he's wandered off from them and they've been frantically searching Jesus responds but why did you need to search didn't you know that I must be in my father's house but they didn't understand what he meant. 
Jesus never moved. They did. And in our lives, when we feel so alone, Jesus never moved. We did. We did. But it's so very easy to go into default mode and question him. Well, what I want to talk about this morning is we need to question us. And we need to be looking, okay, why isn't he here? You know, God cannot bless what is wrong. He can't bless what is wrong, church. And when we are making choices to live in a way that is wrong and that is ungodly, we cannot expect him to live in that. He cannot live in what is wrong. He cannot bless what is wrong. And we're saying, Jesus, where are you? Where are you, Jesus? And Jesus says this, I'm in the holy. I haven't left you. I'm in the holy. And that phrase has been going over in my heart all week. Jesus is saying, I'm in the holy. I haven't gone anywhere. But sadly, the choices we make take us away from the holy and we expect Jesus to live in them. He's never moved from the holy. It's not complicated to find Jesus. He'll always be in the holy. He'll always be true to his word. But we move ourselves and then question why he isn't here any longer. We take control of ourselves and we make choices for ourselves that are ungodly and that aren't holy. And then we wonder why we feel so alone. The New Testament word for holy is hagios, and it means set apart. It means sacred. Worthy of veneration, that's great respect. Where is Jesus for you today? Do you feel he's with you? Or do you feel very much alone? You see, the choices that we make determine whether we are close to him or whether we wander away from him. And I believe that today is a significant day and an important day for us to change our thinking. Instead of being all the time of God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? Into looking at ourselves and getting us back in that place of knowing him and being in his presence and saying there's some things I've got to rectify here today. This isn't condemnation, this is conviction. This is that the Holy Spirit today is convicting. I have been convicted all week of this. I've been convicted all week. I've been looking at my life. I've been looking at my world and saying, where am I? Not where are you, God? Where am I? Where am I at? Because you know this significant time that the world is entering into, it will be great and we'll see it. But listen, it starts in me and it starts in you. Because actually God sees you as an individual. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know holy. 
He wants you to know him. He wants revival in you. And he wants revival in me. So how do we live holy? That can seem like a huge expectation on us. Now listen, I am not doing away with the fact that sometimes we fall. And sometimes we stumble and sometimes we make mistakes. There is grace for those times. But I am talking about when we are actively choosing to live a certain way. When we are actively choosing to live in an ungodly manner. When we are actively choosing ungodly relationships. When we are actively choosing to gossip. When we are actively choosing to be negative. When we are actively, actively choosing to go, out, to go out and getting drunk. When we are actively choosing to do these things and we are, we're not making a mistake. We are actively making a choice. God cannot bless and God cannot live in those things. He is a holy God. He is a holy God. And God's heart is that we would be with him in the holy. The answers for everything are in his word. Right and wrong are in his word. You read his word, you'll know what's right and you'll know what's wrong. And then you choose. But let's change our thinking that when we choose, we just expect the Jesus to be wherever we choose to be. The revelation you need is in his word and in spending time with him. The guidance you need is in his word. The next steps for your life is in his word. Look it up. Look it up. And if you're a little bit lost with the Bible and you don't know where to start, God's planted you in a church. Love this place. Make it home because there's people you can talk to. There's people that will journey this with you. This isn't a message of condemnation, but it is a message of let's wake up, church. Let's wake up. It's time to wake up. We can, we can pray for an awakening in this world. We can pray for an awakening in our, in our peers. We can pray for an awakening in our family. But I'll tell you now, if the awakening doesn't start in me, if I don't start to rise up, if I don't start to choose the godly over the ungodly and the holy over the unholy, then how can I expect him to live with me? How can I expect to hear him because I'm praying to him for an answer that he cannot give me? Because I'm wanting him to give me an answer that doesn't fit in with holy. And God is saying to some people today, he's putting his finger on stuff. The Holy Spirit is moving and he's putting his finger on some stuff. Like he's put his finger on me this week and said, you know this, this is your doing. Not in a point the finger way. What I mean is this is something you've created and you need to let it go. You need to get back into my word. You need to get back into me. Because I'll always be in the holy. those people in here and you are searching for him at the moment it might be that you've never ever ever known God but you are searching for something and you are searching for him you know he's real but you, you don't know where to go from there some people in here you've known him and you've walked with him but you are searching for him again 
God is saying to you today, you aren't searching because I've left you. You are searching because you've left me. And your own agendas, if you want me, you're going to need to put them to one side. Because actually, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans. The plans for good. The plans to prosper you. They're not for disaster. You know, sometimes me and Barry as a couple, we can have great plans for our family. But if our plans, and I'm not, you might think, oh, this is really spiritual. No, no, I believe God should be in every part of our world. I really honestly do. Because then we are completely in tune with him and we're hearing. Me and Barry can make decisions over our family. But if we've never consulted God, we are just making a decision and expecting God to live in it. In our marriage, in our family, in this church. In business, in anything. We should be consulting him and looking at his word. Okay, what is God saying? What is holy? Is this somewhere that Jesus would be? Is this something Jesus would do? You know, in your business and your ethics, you can only live in what's good and it can only bless what is good. And if we're trying to go in through different ways and we're trying to go in through back doors and all things like that to make something and create something, then you do that. I can do that. But we can't expect him to live in it. And then we can't question where he is when we try to take things down a different route. He's never gone anywhere. We just left him behind. His answer to us today is this. Why are you searching? I'm in the holy. You've been searching and the answer is here. God's saying the answer is here. And it might feel uncomfortable for you because you know there's some stuff you've got to put down. But you know that scripture that I read right at the beginning? It says, other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rocks. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun since it didn't have deep roots. It died. These underlying rocks... There are things in our world, there are things in our lives that we aren't surrendering to him. And as the seed today, as the seed is going in, as the Holy Spirit is moving, as God is speaking to us, these underlying rocks, these things that God's saying, you know that? You've got to let it go. You know that? You need to surrender that. You know what's happening? If we are refusing to move that, Every time that seed goes down, it will hit that underlying rock and it will not go down deep. So when the storms come and the heat comes from the midday sun, you will wilt and you will die spiritually because you haven't allowed the, 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 the seed and you haven't allowed God and you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to get past that underlying rock because you are clinging so tightly to it because it might be something that's precious to you. It might be so precious to you. But it's a hindrance to God and to you knowing God. I'm going to just share a little bit of testimony as I close. 
have the music you can play if you want. For many years, we prayed for our son who was sick. And he was sick for nine years. And he got worse and worse and worse. And in the last year, he didn't even go to school. He was too poorly to even really leave the house. And I would pray and I would go into his bedroom. And he lost so much weight and he was so poorly. And I would go into his room and I'd say, Joshua, today might be the day. I used to say to him, today might be the day today. And I used to say to him, the healing's done. We're just waiting to see it, Josh. We're just waiting to see it. And I would... I told him about, by his stripes, we are healed. And I would say all this to him. And he got worse. And then one night in um, May 2016, we'd had many trips back and two from hospital. And the Warrington Hospital didn't know what to do anymore. And he got very sick. <coughs> And he'd um, lost quite a lot of blood and he'd been vomiting. And Barry was downstairs waiting for the ambulance to come. It was about three o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> and I was on my hands and knees in the bedroom, in Joshua's bedroom, because we had to leave the other children with um, Sophie and the uh, American girl we had living with us at the time. And I was trying to clean up because I didn't want them to walk in and find a mess. So I was on my hands and knees. And um, I began to clean the floor. And as I did, my tears were running down my face. And they were falling in the blood that was on the floor. And I began to hear myself singing through the tears. And I began to hear myself singing, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. And in that moment, something supernatural happened to me. Because God allowed me to see myself on my knees and I saw myself with the tears running down my face and I saw the tears hitting the floor and I saw myself singing, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are. And God spoke to me and he said, I am, but I'm his good, good father too and I can't get near him because of you. And in that moment, I had to release my son to God. And I had prayed for nine years but here's the thing, there was an underlying rock in me. An underlying rock. Because he was so precious to me. And for some of you in here, you're holding on to something. And it's so precious to you. And you feel like it's going to cost you to let it go. But you know when I let it go, and I gave in to God that night, the miracle didn't come straight away, it got worse. <laughs> But the miracle did come eventually because Joshua needed to know God for himself, not via me. And I wasn't going to tell that testimony. But before when I said, for some of you, this God is asking something of you and it's going to cost personally. I'm telling you that to say I understand. I understand when it's going to cost you personally. I understand when God's asking you something of you that's a lot. But those things that you are holding on to, those ideas that you're holding on to, those relationships that you're holding on to, those ways of life, the lifestyle you're holding on to, it's an underlying rock. And as the Holy Spirit is moving and those seeds are being sown today, it's hitting the rock, it's hitting the rock, it's hitting the rock. 
and it can't get through. And God is saying today, I am in the holy. I am in the holy. And if you just let those things go and you abide in me and you live in me and you walk with me and you put me center. I was listening to a song this morning. It says, if I don't have Jesus, I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. And as Adam and the team just play a song, I don't want you to feel like you've got to rise to your feet and sing the words. But the Holy Spirit is moving here and he's putting his finger on some stuff. His agenda and not ours. Just to let those things go. Just to let those things go. We're in significant days, but it starts in me. And it starts in you. We put our trust in him. And we choose the godly over the ungodly and the holy over the unholy. Your life will be transformed. And you'll never look back.